You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Metro Vancouver bus and sea bus workers are voting on a tentative agreement struck last week that averted a three-day shutdown. Nadia Stewart is live in Surrey tonight where voting is taking place. Nadia, the feedback seems positive so far and we're getting some new insight into what's in that deal. Yeah, we're hearing about retroactive pay, more compensation for any missed breaks, and also just more time in between shifts. So here's a quick breakdown of what we know so far. All members will receive retroactive pay of 2% based on time worked from April 1st until now. Upon ratification, there will be a 1% increase, followed by a 3% pay increase in 2020 and 2021. As for the other key sticking point, that's working conditions. We're hearing as of April 20. 2020, workers are entitled to five minutes recovery time at the end of each shift. That increases to 30 minutes in June 2020 and 45 minutes by January 2021. Any operator who misses that break is entitled to file an OT claim for 200% of all that missed time. There's also new language around bathroom breaks. Drivers we spoke with say they're pleased with what their union has negotiated. A good start from what we had before, yes. I'm relatively happy, yes. I'm not, you know, they worked hard for it and it, it, it came out pretty good in the end. I'm a new driver, so it, it's, I'm happy with the contract. Not exactly what we were asking, but came close. Yeah, it came so close. So I'm happy yeah. with the deal. We closed the gap uh, significantly with Toronto and we achieved parity uh, with the SkyTrain skill trade. So all of our key, uh, key areas were addressed. Uh, we addressed them significantly and, um, you know, we think it's a good contract. All right, well, we'll see what the membership thinks. Nadia, voting will wrap up at uh, 8 p.m. Any idea when we'll be hearing about results? Uh, I just chatted with someone about this. They tell me sometime after 8.30, we should start to hear what the results of this vote will be. So we'll bring you that update as soon as we get it. All right, thanks for that. Nadia Stewart reporting live tonight. A reminder of the importance of always being alert when you're on your phone in public. A violent robbery suspect has been arrested in connection with a theft near the King George Skytrain station. Transit police say the suspect grabbed a woman's phone as she walked past the station entrance, tackled her to the ground and pulled it from her grip. When she pursued him, he then allegedly pushed her into a bush. Now, fortunately, we did have good Samaritans that stayed in the area. They went to her aid. They also stayed to speak with police. Uh, later on that evening, Surrey RCMP attended an unrelated call, and they discovered the person they, they were dealing with was actually our suspect. Fortunately, um, there were no major injuries on the day of the incident. But as you can imagine, uh, for anybody, this is going to be a, a traumatic incident. 41-year-old Aaron Sutherland is charged with one count of robbery. Women's advocacy groups are blasting a not guilty verdict handed down yesterday in the case of a man accused of shooting his ex-girlfriend. As Jill Bennett reports, they say the decision by Justice Jennifer Duncan sends a message to victims of violence that the justice system won't protect them. The legal system has been failing women for a really long time. And according to this women's advocate, the acquittal of Carlton Stevens, who was charged with attempted murder, is one more failure. This is, uh, again, I think a painful and devastating reminder of the limitations of the Canadian legal system when it comes to 
violence against women. Stevens was charged with attempted murder after a woman pregnant with his child, identified in court only as JY, was shot inside the apartment above this East Vancouver print shop in May of 2018. The bullet caused the woman to lose her baby. The judge ruled Stevens fired the shot, but there was reasonable doubt as to whether or not he was trying to kill her. I think even in my submissions, I acknowledge that um, if Mr. Stevens was charged with threatening, um, he was absolutely, the elements of that offence were certainly made out. Um, but that's not what the offence that was charged was. Um, and, and it's unfortunate for victims of domestic violence. When asked about the acquittal, BC's Parliamentary Secretary for Gender Equity replied, saying violence against women remains a major issue. And to all those who have experienced gender-based violence, and to those who still await justice, my heart goes out to you and your loved ones. The judicial system has rendered its verdict. And uh, any further steps, uh, whether there's appeal or not, will be uh, made by the uh, Attorney General's ministry. During the trial, Crown argued Stevens was consumed with jealousy and rage, had threatened the victim's life prior to the shooting, and had been previously banned from having a firearm. Women are more likely to be killed. Uh, by a partner after leaving an abusive relationship. There is a strong network of transition houses and women's organizations and victim service organizations. What we need certainly is more funding for those services. Though he was acquitted of attempted murder, Stevens remains in custody on another charge. Jill Bennett, Global News. A Squamish man has received a fine and a temporary hunting ban for shooting and killing a therapy dog. It happened in 2017 near Lake Lucille, a popular off-leash area halfway between Whistler and Squamish. The hunter mistook the dog, a Tamascan, for a wolf. Conservation says it's a hunter's responsibility to be cognizant of their surroundings and to know the regulations. The man has been fined $4,000 and is banned from hunting for four years. More business owners are coming forward tonight sharing their frustration over what they're calling an epidemic of shoplifting. Many reporting multiple thefts a day. Even more concerning, the level of violence. Jordan Armstrong took their concerns to the public safety minister in search of possible solutions. They're short-staffed at Triple Eight Mini Market on Hornby Street. The 61-year-old shopkeeper has been off work since October 21st, when he was stabbed in both arms by a thug. He just uh, put in knife to, you know, opening up the cash register. A lot of robberies here. Yeah. yeah. Scary. Scary. Yeah. This suspect got away with nothing and remains at large. Rib steaks very pop, very popular. Meat, cheese, and desensitizing toothpaste are looted on a daily basis from IGA on Burrard. Owner Don Husband says theft is up dramatically since summer, and violence, or the threat of it, is more common. About a week or two ago, uh, a fellow came in, tried to steal a bag full, like 12 bags of pistachios, and our staff just approached him to say, listen, put it back and he pulled the tire iron. And two Sundays ago at a different downtown IGA, a kinder surprise no one wanted. This would-be chocolate egg thief threw a punch at a security guard. And at Super Value on First and Commercial, the owner says the scourge of attempted robberies has worsened since the spring, when this man threatened an employee 
with a lead pipe. Businesses, uh, employees absolutely have a right to feel safe. While Vancouver police say they haven't noticed a spike in thefts and robbery, the topic is on the radar of BC's public safety minister. Yesterday I was at the Board of Trade with, with the Premier and we talked uh, briefly about that and we'll be talking further on that on that particular issue. The small business owners we spoke to say the minister needs to take a good look at how the courts are dealing with these offenders. For the customer, the consequences are clear. When shoplifting goes up, grocery prices follow. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, traffic is moving again slowly along Highway 93 north of Cranbrook following a rock slide this morning. These pictures from Drive BC show the slide across the highway. It happened between Dutch Creek Road and Westside Road. The highway was closed with no detour for several hours. But as we as mentioned, it reopened to single lane alternating traffic around 3.30 this afternoon. There's no word yet on what might have caused the slide. Well, the answer was a resounding no from the public. Victoria residents overwhelmingly opposed to councillors receiving a 55% pay raise. But despite the backlash, the councillor who proposed it is doubling down. Global's Brad McLeod has more on Ben Isett's newest idea. It's not the most popular move for politicians asking for more money. But Victoria Council polled the public. Colleagues, what do you think about putting it to the public if they think it's an appropriate level or if we should go up to the median of other employees of the city? Right now, councillors get paid $45,000 a year. The poll asked whether councillors should be paid the median salary of municipal workers in Victoria. The median is $70,000. Maybe they should be making more, but I don't know about double. <laughs> that amount of a pay raise within a year is astounding. 5,000 people responded to the poll. A resounding 86% said no to a pay raise like that. Councillor Ben Isett proposed the poll. I think it was a little naive that we could just ask a question to the public and not sort of uh, have a bunch of... Uh, sort of angst uh, develop. But far from dropping the issue, this week ICET issued a statement. Public opinion appears to support part-time remuneration and duties. He goes on to propose, maybe public access to counselors could be reviewed, shifting to a lower level of correspondence, telephone calls, and media inquiries. I knew what I was getting to when I signed up for this job, and, and I enjoy it. Councillor Jeremy Loveday understood what he would be paid in office, but isn't opposed to a review. And the city already has one on the books. It's planned for next year. After feeling the heat for the past week, Councillor Isett says he may have gotten it backwards. Council should have asked the public... What are the appropriate duties and expectations of councillors? And then having the discussion, what should the compensation be? Uh, we, we skipped that first step. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. But first, the last bills for the medical services plan are being sent out this month. And as of January 1st, the premiums will be no more. It was a key promise by the NDP government. A move the Premier says will save B.C. families up to $1,800 per year. But as Richard Zussman reports, Medicare must be funded somehow. And the burden now shifts entirely to employers. It's a bill Kyle Bryan is thrilled he'll never have to pay again. When MSP premiums go away on January 1st, so does paying $1,800 in post-tax his family of four hands over to the province every year. Extra money for groceries, childcare, activities, and, and hopefully putting some away for, for saving as well. Uh, it's going to be huge. 
The B.C. government celebrating wiping out the tax, a major election commitment. We did it in stages and we did it because we wanted to make sure we were putting money back into the pockets of hard-working British Columbians. About one million British Columbians pay MSP themselves, while another million have their employers pay it for them. We appreciate the initiatives that your government has implemented uh, for taking steps towards making BC more affordable for young families. To cover the cost of getting rid of MSP, the provincial government brought in an employer's health tax earlier this year. For nearly a year, businesses and organizations have been paying both taxes. The employer health tax has been with us now for a year, and it is a big burden on job creators and on municipalities. Nonprofits don't pay the employer's health tax, nor do businesses with payrolls less than $500,000. Only Ontario is lower, $490,000 a year, with the three other payroll tax provinces, Quebec, Manitoba and Newfoundland, exempting larger payrolls. Local business owner Lisa Beecroft says the tax hurts businesses, including Gabby and Jules Bakery in Port Moody. Great deal of unknown anxiety, which is uh, not what you need when you're running a business, but also just, um, again, another layer of tax for us as far as um, having to find ways to make cuts in other areas. With many businesses feeling the crunch like Beecroft, passing on the cost to customers will soon be a reality. Municipalities have also been forced to raise property taxes in part to deal with the new tax, meaning MSP may soon be gone, but the true savings aren't as great as many expect. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The news that food prices are expected to rise by 4% next year has BC food banks bracing for the worst. Food banks worry that higher prices in the stores will lead to more demand for their services, which are already stretched to the limit. They're also worried that with larger food banks spending an average of $100,000 per year on food, a 4% increase will be a major hit to their budgets. We have some positive stories about people who've been able to get back on their feet and come back and tell us. I expect to hear fewer stories like that. Um, I think that people are going to be in need for longer as food prices go up. In my kids' school, just now they had a whole meeting about taking away the, the meals, the hot lunches, and they, they decided not to for now, but if they take that away, a lot of families are like out in the hole. The Union Gospel Mission, which serves meals to more than 800 people a day, says it'll be relying on donations this holiday season to help it deal with higher costs. Well, if you are a volunteer, today is the day to give yourself a pat on the back. It is International Volunteer Day, a global recognition of people who give of their own time to help others. To mark the occasion, Global's Aaron MacArthur profiles some BC health professionals who take volunteerism to the next level. It's an average day for Dr. Joe Del Vicario and Melissa Reynolds, a nurse at St. Paul's Cardiac ICU. The pair just got back from a life-altering trip to Guatemala, where every day is anything but average. It's rewarding. Yeah, it's always nice to give back. Staff from St. Paul's and other hospitals around BC volunteered three weeks of their time to travel to Guatemala. They performed hundreds of surgeries, everything from cleft palate repair to complicated orthopedic work. The group Health for Humanity forgoes their vacation and fundraise for 100% of the cost of the trip. The reaction from the patients is priceless. The appearance of relief and, uh, and gratitude and uh, not uncommonly tears and uh, challenging work uh, at times, but it is extremely rewarding for everyone involved. What we would consider not that 
big an operation often and it can be life-changing for people in Guatemala. Most of the team keep going back every year. It's easy to see why. One patient in particular stands out. A man with a gruesome arm break took on enormous debt to pay for what turned out to be incomplete and inadequate treatment from local doctors. A team from H4H first stabilized the injury and then flew down a second time to properly fix the man's arm. That's fantastic. Look at that. No infection. Hey, no we, he came back this last time to see us and the family was with him and it was, it was that's, well, that was good. The team will go back next year too. Most of the physicians, even the first timers, have already signed on for 2020. I'm told once you go there you're hooked. So I think, yeah, I'll be going. And with smiles like this, who could blame them? Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Aaron tells me the Health for Humanity, te Humanity team also provided 45,000 people with clean drinking water. So thank you for all that you've done. Well, more than 100 volunteers spent the morning today putting together a holiday surprise for families in need on the Lower Mainland. With assembly line efficiency, they stuffed 1,000 bags full of pantry essentials, sweet treats, and other goodies for single moms. The care packages are courtesy of the Cause We Care Foundation, which devotes its energies to single mother-led families in Metro Vancouver. Among the volunteers today, a single mom who was on the receiving end of one of these bags four years ago when she fell on hard times. It was hard to receive, to be honest. I was like, no, no, no. I've been on both sides of privilege, like in the sense of like I came from a technology background and I used to be able to pay my way, no problem. And in that hap that particular Christmas, it was difficult, um, and I was penny pinching, and uh, and there was women that surrounded me as the group that were way worse off. So it was hard for me to receive, to be honest, at first. But that year, I knew it would help, um, and it was uh, so humbling, like, incredibly humbling. And I I know what an incredible impact this had on the other moms as well. We don't take any glee in this at all. It's heartbreaking. But the president gave us no choice. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announces the drafting of articles of impeachment against Donald Trump and takes on a reporter who asks her if she hates the president. Pelosi saying Trump's actions have violated the U.S. Constitution and accusing the president of trying to corrupt the election for his own benefit. An exchange late in her news conference leaving no doubt Washington is in for a political battle royal. Good morning. In an historic announcement, Speaker Nancy Pelosi says the House will push forward with articles of impeachment against President Trump. Our democracy is what is at stake. The president leaves us no choice. On Monday, attorneys will lay out the evidence for and against impeachment, setting up a full House vote, possibly by Christmas. Likely articles of impeachment include abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. But it's not clear yet if the case will focus solely on Ukraine or draw in obstruction of justice claims from the Mueller report. I think we have to keep it uh, as simple as possible for the American people to understand. President Trump saying today he's not worried about his legacy. No, not at all. It's a hoax. It's a hoax. It's a big, fat hoax. Urging Democrats, if they're going to impeach, do it now, fast, to get to a fair trial in the Senate, where he wants live witnesses called. Republicans accusing Democrats of fixating on impeachment. 
They have a timeline, but they have no proof. Speaker Pelosi insisting she's following the facts, bristling when a reporter asked if she hates President Trump. This is about the Constitution of the United States and the facts that lead to the president's violation of his oath of office. And as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. The president then accusing Pelosi of having a nervous fit. Tensions running as high as the stakes as Congress edges closer to impeachment. Alice Barr, NBC News, Washington. Well, it didn't take long for a Democratic presidential candidate to jump on that video of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and other world leaders appearing to laugh at Donald Trump at the NATO summit. World leaders caught on camera laughing about President Trump. The new ad for former Vice President Joe Biden paints the president as an international laughingstock who's dangerously incompetent and incapable of world leadership. Well, the prime minister laid out the roadmap for his government today as the new session of parliament kicked off in Ottawa. The speech from the throne for the minority government calls for unity and cooperation. It focuses on liberal priorities, including climate change and the middle class. The speech closely mirrors the liberal platform with promises of net zero emissions by 2050, a ban on military style assault rifles and middle class tax relief. But there are also some nods to ideas proposed by other parties. France ground to a standstill today as the country's unions launch nationwide strikes and protests. Thousands took to the streets to protest the government's plan to overhaul the retirement system, which currently allows some workers to retire as young as 52. The protests shut down the Paris Metro and the Eiffel Tower and closed half the nation's schools. Most of the protests were peaceful, although there were a few arrests and minor scuffles. Canadian fire management specialists, including seven from BC, have touched down in Australia to help with that country's historic wildfires. The New South Wales Rural Fire Service shared a video of the Canadians arriving. Grateful Australians took to social media to express their appreciation. One person saying they were humbled by the support. Australia's fires have reached epic proportions. In New South Wales alone, 2 million hectares have burned. More than 600 homes have been destroyed and six people have been killed. And there is no sign these hot, dry conditions will let up, even into the new year. One official saying the fires could be out of control for months. Air quality in parts of Sydney is rated as hazardous. Australia's wildfires are so bad this year, they're changing the landscape 2,000 kilometers away. New Zealand's famous glaciers are turning pink, thanks to the smoke coming from the fires. Travel photographer and blogger Liz Carlson captured these remarkable pictures. Meteorologists are speculating that the distinctive color is due to red dust and earth being picked up from inland areas of Australia, which drop down once they reach New Zealand. People magazine has named its 2019 People of the Year, and it's an all-female foursome. Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Lopez, Michelle Obama, and Taylor Swift were crowned the winners for 2019. The magazine putting them on four separate covers. People's editor-in-chief says the four were chosen for their impact on culture, art, and entertainment. In Health Matters tonight, some modest good news tonight in the latest B.C. overdose death statistics from the coroner service. 
October saw 69 deaths attributed to drug toxicity, a big 42% decrease from the same month last year. That still works out to more than two deaths each day. And frontline healthcare workers are warning the supply of street drugs remains unpredictable and dangerous. It's impossible to overstate the importance of the Fraser River to virtually all of B.C. And that's why a new report is raising a lot of red flags. The report says new threats to the river from both people and Mother Nature make it one of the most endangered waterways in Canada. Linda Ellsworth reports. For over a century, the Fraser River, the heart and soul of B.C., has been threatened by one thing or another. But according to the Outdoor Recreation Council's latest report, things have never been worse. One of the most important points is that the diversity and cumulative impact of those threats is at the highest level since we started assessing the river 40 years ago. Among those threats, the massive Big Bar rock slide near Lillooet, which blocked the route of hundreds of thousands of spawning salmon. The reality is a lot of fish didn't make it through, and many that did get lifted over the slide were exhausted uh, and probably didn't make it back to natal streams to spawn. Clearing the slide and resulting waterfall was complicated by high water and steep cliffs. If it's to be rectified, it needs to be done in the next few months while water levels are low. We do have the ability to deal with things like that. And whatever the cost, whatever the effort required, I think it has to be done. And yet progress has been slow. At stake? The slide, if in fact it stays in place, could lead to the extinction of some major runs in the upper river. On the lower river, in the heart of the Fraser between Hope and Mission, it's the threat to these islands that are the greatest concern. Those islands were recently converted to agricultural land a few years ago, and as a result, um, there's been an extensive amount of clear-cutting, which in turn has had a huge impact on, on fish habitat. 30 species of fish, some endangered, rely on these rearing grounds. Trying to look at acquiring and restoring those islands, we're also hoping the federal government will designate that stretch as an ecologically significant area under the Fisheries Act. Thing is, these problems have solutions. So why do they remain? threats. Governments have to find the will to, to do more. Uh, once again, we, we can find a way to resolve the Big Bar Slide if the will is there. We can find a way to protect the heart of the Fraser Islands if the will is there. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Not a Hollywood special effect, but real life. After the forecast, the shocking crash at a Florida car dealership. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at that forecast. And mm. uh, that looks very Christmassy and festive in the background behind you. Yeah, this is a Christmas market at Jackpool Plaza. It's still dry, Sophie. We've remained dry for the most part all day with the moisture well to the north of us. And I think overnight we're going to mainly see dry conditions. Now, I've put in a chance of showers into tomorrow morning. But really, again, the bulk of that moisture seems to be traveling north of us. So tomorrow may not be a bad day with a bit of a break in the action. But I think by the afternoon hours, we can expect the rain to push in. And it will be a wet one to finish off the day on Friday. Here's the reason why you can see that moisture to the north of us. We were also talking about snowfall extending from the Caribou region into the Chilcotin all the way extending into the Columbia regions and we do have snowfall warnings in effect because this is going to remain. You can see that van continuing to pummel that area so overnight tonight and through the day tomorrow. So here are the areas under the snowfall warning all the way from the inland sections of the central coast further east. These gray areas have an air quality advisory in place. Elevated levels are particulate matter there but this is the snowfall warning so up to 15 centimeters of 
snow for those regions. But other parts of the province will also see snow, just not under that rain, uh, snowfall warning. So areas like Nelson, for example, 13 centimetres, that's on the upper end, but significant amounts possible there and into Fernie, for example, as well. And we'll certainly see snowfall on the mountain passes. So uh, Rogers Pass could see 30 centimetres in the next 24 to 36 hours. Highway 97 from Clinton to 100 Mile, 15 centimetres. The Coquihalla and Kootenai Pass, 10. And then flurries for uh, the Hope Princeton. We also have a chance of freezing rain along the Coquihalla and Hope Princeton. So avoid the highways in the next 36 hours. Much better day to travel would be on Saturday. Here's a look at your forecast across the north. Mostly breaks of sunshine in the far north, but then that snowfall from the central interior down into the Columbia region. Flurries expected through the Okanagan Valley as well, but not significant rain uh, snowfall amounts and south coast region. It will be an unsettled day tomorrow, but I think we'll see some breaks of dry weather. The best chance for dry weather will be late Saturday through our Sunday and Monday. Some nice uh, sunny periods in there as well. All right, I'll leave you with a shot from Lesser Fish Lake, which is just east of 100 Mile. Thank you to Marianne Lendy for that. Okay, thanks, Marianne, and thank you, Christy. Some jaw-dropping surveillance video out of Florida. It looks like a scene from the next Fast and Furious, but it was real life. A driver sails over cars in an auto dealership after losing control and hitting a berm. The car travels more than 40 meters in the air at nearly half the length of a football field before narrowly missing an employee and smashing into two parked cars. No one on the ground was hurt, amazingly. The driver was injured, but is expected to be okay. What are you examining, Squire? Well, I just, That's was, crazy. He, was that a test drive? <laughs> no. <laughs> feel like he's not buying that car. Yeah, let me just take, let me just step on this. And see how it is if I, it. yeah. <laughs> I want to know if this car can jump over all can the other really cars fly, in the park, yeah. parking lot. So much better at Jingle Bells than me. This is a live shot of the Yule Jewel, a unique holiday experience underway in downtown Vancouver right now. Dozens of choirs performing new and classic songs going head to head in a series of sing-offs competing for awards from the judges. All proceeds benefit May's Place Hospice on Vancouver's downtown east side. But you know the thing about being in a choir you could be in that choir and we wouldn't know if you, you could sing know. or not. That's right. I'd Same just, with me. I, I would just mouth it. We would just mouth the words. Yeah, I'd just mouth it. So that, many festive um, events going on around Vancouver mm-hmm. and we saw you earlier sliding down the thing. I don't oh. know if you know we used that but I used it. And you know why that went? That went very quickly down the hill because they put Gravity. dish soap on the bottom of the... Oh really? Yes. No kidding. Yeah, they said, do you want this thing soaped up? It's like, what? And then they put it on and away I went. I thought they meant I needed a wash. Secrets of Aurora. Yes. Well, let's learn some secrets of Aurora, which is at the PE this year. When the Aurora Winter Festival moved to the PE this year, they got the gift of room. Lots of it. At least 10 times a footprint and so much more to offer this year. We've got more sets, more characters, more entertainment, more rides, more everything. The more everything includes a skating rink. Beginners are welcome. Six different rides. And of course, lights. How many lights? Over one million lights for sure. I haven't started counting in the last few hours, but we're growing in the last two days. 
How many extra lights in case they burn out? <laughs> Full barn worth, to be honest. And there's a queen with a Yeti. A queen that apparently has been around for thousands of years. So she says. You're 3,000 years old. Oh my gosh, you flatter me. I'm, no, no, no. Into my fifth, yeah, 5,000. But uh, Wow. Thank you. But as impressive as a 5,000-year-old monarch and her Yeti friend is, the big attraction is the tube park. It is the hit of the town. It's 200 feet long, 35 feet high, four lanes, and it goes down in about 10 seconds. You guys built this, or? We did, we custom built this. I don't like heights, but, but I'm it. down at the bottom pretty fast. You did it. You did it because of the dish soap. If you go up there, and they, they may ask you, like, get up a little dish soap on the bottom. And then you... Say yes. And you really go. Okay, what you got? Okay, so a couple of years ago, people wondered aloud, where are the Canuck goals going to come from now that we don't have Henrik and Daniel playing anymore? Well, of course, Elias Pettersson showed up last season, and for three quarters of the year, he helped pick up the slack. He tired in the final 20 games. But secondary scoring was needed as well players outside of the top line. And this year, the Canucks are getting it. It also helps that they have a very highly skilled defenseman in Quinn Hughes, who's helping the power play, being one of the most dangerous in the league right now. And it takes a look, puts one in front, Pearson scores! It's pretty simple math. Score a lot of goals and your odds of winning go way up. And right now, the Canucks are putting up the kind of numbers that give them a great chance of getting back to the playoffs. Right now, Vancouver has scored the fourth most goals in the NHL, averaging 3.34 per game. And a dozen times this year, or 40% of the time, they've scored five or more goals in a game. Compare that to a year ago when the Canucks had the 25th most goals and only scored 5-plus 11 times in 82 games. They've had one more than that already, just a third into this season. We had a couple practices where we worked on a lot of offensive uh, habits and systems, system parts of our game that we think helped produce offense. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it helped. And our guys took it to heart. And, uh, you know, now the now you got to continue to try to do that. Certainly the Canucks' power play has been a big factor in their increased goal production. Vancouver's 30 power play goals are the most in the NHL, and their percentage is the fourth best. Quinn Hughes has been a key factor, quarterbacking the first unit and setting up the likes of Pedersen, Besser, and JT Miller, who are all top 30 in league scoring. But they've had some much-needed help. A big thing for us is depth this year. Um, you know, we got three lines that can score and uh, you know and can fit into any any role on our team and I think that's what we've locked in the past is, is depth in our lineup and, and we have it now and I mean it's been working for us. If the Canucks keep up their current pace, they will score 49 more goals than last season. But as we know, the closer the playoffs come, the harder it is to score and the Canucks are aware of that. It's about being heavy on the puck and pressuring and trying to find a game that will win in playoff hockey too and uh, how you score goals uh, has to be conducive to scoring when it's tough as well and uh, you know we look at all those things well there's a lot of great players in the rafters islanders and golden knights it's 0-0 it's the second period but cal clutterbuck i love that name you do so much with it. 
That made it one nothing in the first period. Or actually, the second period. Then, nice shot here by Alex Tuck. Tied at 1-1. This game would go to overtime, and in OT, the Islanders got the power play. So often that four-on-three results in a goal. Ryan Pollock. 3-2 the final. New York over Vegas. Big game tonight in T.O. James Harden and the Rockets are in town. That means Drake is there with a ringside seat. Or courtside, to be more precise. Harden there. Only took three shots in the first half. Third quarter, Fred Van Vliet with the steal. Sets up a fast break. Pascal Siakam finishes it. 74-74. Kyle Lowry now. Drives. Scores. But apparently you wouldn't know it by looking at Drake's face. Is that happening? I don't know. I can't figure it out. Uh, Serge Ibaka, forearm to the head of James Harden. He goes down, left the game with 17 points. Did return, though, later in the fourth. In fact, he was back to nail this deep three. There you go. Houston up by six in the fourth. Tiger, the Hero Challenge Golf Tournament from the Bahamas, second round. Tiger hosting 17 of his good friends, all members of the U.S. President's Cup team, except Dustin Johnson's not there. Tiger, great shot on the par 5 11th to within three feet, made the eagle with 666, now tied for fifth at minus six. The leader is Patrick Reed. This on 18 from the rough. Knocks it to about one yard. What are we talking about? Made the bird. He has a three shot lead. At minus 12. There you go. Here's your snow report for this evening. Whistler Blackcomb picked up two centimeters of new snow. Grouse and Cypress a little warmer right now, and Sasquatch will open next Thursday. Manning Park still waiting to find a date, and Revelstoke didn't receive anything new. Fernie picked up one centimeter, though. Kicking Horse opens tomorrow. Big White, Silver Star, and Sun Peaks, nothing new, but temperatures have dropped, so they'll be able to do some snowmaking, and Apex opens on Saturday. Mount Washington still waiting to find a date. Whitewater will open tomorrow. Red Mountain next Thursday, and Powder King has two centimeters of new snow. Coming up on ET Canada, Gabrielle Union meets with NBC and Justin Timberlake apologizes. Plus, previews of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Henry Cavill's The Witcher. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Sophie. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> Worried about Mount Washington still yeah. looking for a date. Looking for yeah, a date. Mount Washington a can't find a date. That's too bad. <laughs> All right, get ready to debate the merits of this next story. An Italian artist has sold his latest work in Florida for a price that seems kind of bananas. <laughs> a picture popped up on our screens today, and we're sorry, we just can't seem to peel our eyes away. Because what you're looking at, and this is no slip of the tongue, is art. And it just sold for north of $100,000 at the big Art Basel gathering in Miami. Many an artist was misunderstood in their lifetimes. Van Gogh, yes, the Van Gogh, only sold one painting ever. Maybe we're missing something with the banana and duct tape, like an unfathomable metaphor about the banana that decays, but the tape, as any do-it-yourselfer knows, pretty much lasts forever. Still, we have a few questions. As the banana rots, does the art appreciate or depreciate? If I go home and make my own banana and duct tape art, does that mean I'm an artist? Only if you get paid for it. Harry Smith, NBC News.
Kate, not only did someone pay 120, there were three of them apparently. Someone <laughs> paid 120. The next one is up for sale for 150. Which was the original? It's a good question. Yeah. And then you make a good point. Yeah, the other ones are just <laughs> They're copies. Yeah. What do you do when the banana? What happens if you take it home do? after you pay 120 and your friend eats the banana thinking it's a there banana? to be eaten? Yeah. <laughs> he owes you $120,000. Exactly. Have a good night, everyone.